Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Looks like a beautiful sunshine out there. Yeah, yeah I know. It, it's, uh, it is really, it's really nice. It's going to set in about 10 minutes, but it is really nice. <laughs> what time is it where you are then? You're on the same time zone, aren't you? We're, we're about two hours ahead of you. So it's right. um, two o'clock. About to hit two o'clock. No, sorry, I lied. It's about to four o'clock. It's very uh, bright for four o'clock. What time? Yeah, the sun will only go down about seven ish. Oh, of course, you're closer to the equator, aren't you? So yeah, yeah, more hours of daylight. Yeah, so Cape Town uh, during the summer gets gets it. It's like the UK it goes to like nine o'clock, ten o'clock. Yeah. So, so we ha- get uh, five a.m. sun up and and sort of seven o'clock sundown. Every day. Every day, yeah. Do you find it hard to adjust when you go to somewhere that has? less hours in the winter, more hours of daylight in the summer, and also we adjust our time zones. Um, I'm not a fan of adjusting the time zones, like you do my daylight savings. Yeah. I'm not a big big fan of that. I think, um, uh, and I I know there's sort of some logic to why they do it, but I I think it creates more chaos than it's worth. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, so so what I heard the other day, actually, is that they keep it for the Scottish schools. (laughs) Okay. That was the last one I heard. Um, but obviously it goes back to World War One, World War Two, where they were trying to save oil for um, electricity, well, for powering things. Um, but I don't think it makes any difference in, in this day and age where you have, you know, lighting come on on a timer and you can have, you know, sensors and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can, we don't need the extra hour shift each each season. Um, personally, I do struggle with the less like thing. Um, so I take a, a vitamin D supplement during winter when I'm in the UK more than I, so I take one anyway, where I double it up in winter. Yeah. Um, and I try and get out as much as I can, even if it's a miserable day, I'd rather be outside and get a bit of, of no sun than, than be inside. Um, but it took us a good couple of years to get used to it because it's, you know, it, your your body kind of grows up a certain way and gets used to certain rhythms. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you say about you heard it was to do with the Scottish skills, and originally it was to do with power because I heard originally it was to do with agriculture during the war, and it was so that farmers had more daylight to be able to do farming. So it's possible. funny yeah. what what you hear in, from in different parts of the the world i guess but about why yeah i can't remember if i read it or something someone told me it's not something i mean i've ever researched i've always been i'm fascinated though by watching the sunrise sunset time so you know every okay. morning so one of those weird um idiosyncrasies i guess so like i look forward to the solstices because i know that's the longest day or the shortest day yeah, but I like, right. I, like to, I like to see because I usually get up early in the morning, so I'm almost I'm always watching to see how much light I'm going to have from the morning, um, which is kind of where I, I agree with the and I'm kind of contradict myself. I agree with the slip in in winter because you know mornings become darker and darker, then you move it back one hour and you get a bit more light. Um, but in the same token, I think we could artificially create that light, so you know we're not, yeah. we, we, don't, we don't have a power problem per se. Yeah, and there is, it's very topical just now about getting rid of it. I suspect that had coronavirus not happened this year, then they may have pushed that debate even harder in order to get rid of it. So we'll see. It's interesting what you say about the vitamin D supplement as well. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about why is business conducted between nine and five and why are we pushed into this window? Because 
if we've all got to take vitamin D because we don't get enough daylight, why on earth are we then being forced into buildings between the hours of nine to five when you've got all the best daylight? It just makes no sense. And so society needs to look at what work working hours and times mean because we are a 24-hour world now, aren't we? It's yeah, it's funny. I'm trying to remember what, what I, I think it was in the lean, lean startup book that I read it. The, the, the guy who came up with, um, and I think this was in the Henry Ford times. Okay. The whole factory mindset. So this, this whole working nine to five or shift working goes back to those days where Henry Ford started hiring people to work in his factories to build the cars. And he was paying them a premium to come work, but they had to work shifts. Yeah. And it was all about efficiency, effectiveness of the process. And this this guy, and I can't remember, you know, obviously this, I read this book a couple of weeks ago, um, but this guy who came up with the whole methodology of measurement of manufacture and all that sort of stuff, which at the time was revolutionary and completely changed the game. But in hindsight, what you look back now, it doesn't fit to what you're saying now, which I agree with, is that we are, we are a, a, should be a results orientated industry as opposed to a yeah. nine to five factory mindset, which always, always has killed me where, you, you know, if you're not in the office by nine o'clock, you're not working. In fact, you're in the office in some places by eight o'clock, you're not working. Yeah. Meanwhile, you might have worked to two o'clock in the morning and done a whole lot of stuff because that's your perfect time to, to work. And it, and it does come down to a person being comfortable. Yeah. And it's not, it's a digital age now. The world is smaller and everything's digital. And so what was good for the 1940s, doesn't mean it has to still be good for today. Move forward 80 years. It's, it's very different now. So, well, maybe we are on the brink. We talk about a fourth revolution and perhaps coronavirus is the, is the catalyst that yeah. will help everyone realise you know, we, we've always had lots of catalysts to, to drive the agenda, but the catalyst uh, of realisation that we are on this fourth revolution. So what else can we break in order to, yeah. to build it back up and fix it? Well, it, uh, it it's funny how, um, I don't know if you remember before 2000, they were, they were talking about the mind prophecy about this great mental shift. It wasn't necessarily yeah. the end of the world, but it was the end of the, you know, it was a, it was a big shift mentally. And now we're in 2020. And now we've had a reason to mentally shift. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it just happens to be a two zero two zero as opposed to 2000, which, you know, considering it was an old archaic calendar system, uh, which still works. Um, they probably weren't far off and probably is yeah. time for a shift. I have to say, Ryan, you're incredibly well read and you know, lots of pieces of information It's a, it's, it's a joy listening to you share all that with me. I have to say, no, what else can you share with me? What what other nuggets have you got in there? What else you want to know? Well, yeah, I'm sure there's if if there's a thing then um, you'll have some interesting insight about it. Well, I remember doing an introduction to a. I was joining a team. Oh yeah. And I am. Um, I had to do an introduction, and what, what happened was before I joined them, I went away. They had like a weekend away. So I took some time off from where I was and um, went to join them on this weekend away. And um, they asked me to get up. I mean, this was after, you know, a glass of two or one. And they said, would you mind doing an introduction? And I remember saying something along the lines of, whatever you've got to say, whatever you've got to ask, I will have an opinion. I will have some useless fact to share. Okay. So it's it's been a consistent thing in my career to have. That's how we can define you. Ryan, useless. opinionated. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right, in the nicest <laughs> So how do you know Heather? So um, so I've done a lot of work. Uh, when I moved to the UK, um, I was very lucky that one of my old customers when I was based in South Africa worked for Citibank. He moved to JP Morgan. Oh, yeah. And we moved over because my wife got a job on the Olympics. And we sort of said... If we're going over, we're going over to get the passports and the whole spiel because, you know, kids must get them and all that sort of stuff. So I dropped him an email saying, listen, uh, and, and a bit more of the story. So, so my wife had worked on the FIFA World Cup. That's how I'd met her, um, or I'd met her at that time. And she uh, had had brain surgery during that period. Wow. Um, so, so we benefited from watching a lot of football because she couldn't work. We had all these tickets to use. Um, but she really had the bug for these big events. So, so she said to me, um, she was working for, uh, after the World Cup and she'd recovered, she was working for a horse racing bunch. 
that she wanted to work on, on the Olympics. And I'd sort of laughed at it and said, well, why would, you know, why would they hire you 10,000 kilometers away? Unless you've got some contacts or something. She knows that she's going to work on it. It's going to happen. Anyway, um, we just bought a house and uh, moved into it in December. And January, she the two she applied for three jobs. And in January, she the two jobs of the three that she wanted, she got declined for. And I said, well, you know, don't feel bad about it. You know, you still got this other job and whatever. You know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Um, and come to the end of March, uh, sort of third week of March, she gets a phone call. And they say, would you, would you be able to start in a week's time uh, looking after Wimbledon? And she's like, uh, let me talk to my husband. So I was like, well, we can't get there in a week. We can get there in two weeks because we had to still sort out to get an ancestral visa. So we ended up flying out and arriving in the UK on the 30th of, of March. And at the same time, I dropped this old client of mine an email saying, listen, I'm coming up to the UK. We're moving. Um, I need help finding a job because, you know, wow. the guys that I work for now won't keep me. Well, they won't pay me um, based out of London. I have to be based out of Joburg. Okay. So, so I resigned and I went and saw him and I had a, a, two opportunities really. And one was to stay in the sort of pre-sales world or, or software vendor world. And the other one was to jump to the client side, which was to work for JP Morgan. And I sort of under and under and I thought, you know, I've never worked for a customer. Like I've always been the guy selling into the customer or, yeah. or building solutions to customers. This would really be a good opportunity to to see what the other side's like. Um, so we, so I, I fortunately got, got through the process and got hired and um, started working with this product called SysTrack, which is a Lakeside software. Um, it's an agent that, that measures experience and that sort of stuff. Okay. And the, the, the thing that, that really appealed to me in the project, all of the things to do, was to build a self-healing engine. Okay. So to look at all the data we're collecting across desktops, uh, all the services, all that kind of stuff, and build some sort of, well, now it's AI or machine learning. But when we were talking about this 10 years ago, it was just some sort of engine to do, to do fixes. Yeah. Um, it would proactively heal the desktop. Um, and that was really interesting because that was going into, you know, um, do, do using data to make good decisions. So I got to know the Lakeside guys quite a lot. I spent quite a lot of time, you know, working with their product and, and getting to know all the engineers and flying backwards and forwards between Detroit and, and the UK. And um, through that process, uh, Heather was, had started a podcast. And in my trips, I'd met her sort of in the, in the, in the offices and that. Yeah. And they'd started a podcast. So I've been interviewed on their podcast a few times. Um, and sort of fast forward to, to last year this time, um, I was dying to start one, but everyone I was sort of involved in doing it wasn't a, um, as passionate about it as, as Heather is. Um, so I asked and said, look, I know you've got this other one, but you, would you mind helping get your mind started? We'll do like 10 episodes. And if, and if it doesn't work after 10, you know, you can go your way, go my way. At least we gave it a shot. And here we are 30, 35, 34 down. And we, we recorded for the whole of, uh, November, December last year. So we had a nice backlog there already. Yeah. And we've been, just been going on. So, so that's how I met it. And that's how it's, how it's progressed. That is fantastic. That's a great story. And then in terms of people that you then, how you, how you go about finding people that you want to have a conversation with, do you just do that through your networks or do you look for, you know, people like me to make recommendations? What, what are introductions? What is your method? Anyway, yeah, so, so um, it's a bit of everything, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, I've never really had, had the fear of, of, of not reaching out to somebody. So... I might see someone post something on LinkedIn and reach out to them and say, Hey, listen, I got a little podcast and would you like to come on? Uh, I mean, one of the reasons for the podcast was to talk to people and have a good reason to talk to them beyond, you know, some of this nonsense you see on LinkedIn where someone reaches out to you and the first message is, Hey, how are you? And the second message is, I'd like to sell you a service or I would mm -hmm. like to yeah. you know, borrow some of your time. But this is a nice way where, you know, I think everyone benefits, you know, the, the guest gets some visibility. Um, you know, within the sphere of, of what we're talking about, you know, I get to talk to them about stuff that I potentially don't know about, which means, you know, I build up more knowledge, which, which is great. And then, you know, from a sort of authenticity point of view or, or an authority point of view, people who hear my voice will associate it with knowing about this stuff, which is the stuff that I really enjoy talking about. Um, so to answer your question around guests, it's, it started off with, with I, got about, I wrote down 50 people that I wanted to talk to. Um, and then I started talking to those people. And then through that, as I did different 
networking things, I would pick people or, or see something or I just put a post and say, Hey, I'd like to talk to someone about this. And they would apply and then that would, which would schedule it up. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's actually, you know, in a way, not difficult to find people to talk to. So, um, in fact, one of my challenges is I've almost got too many people that I've said I will talk to that I haven't actually scheduled them in. Okay. Um, I feel really, really bad that I've sort of spoken to someone and said, oh, yeah, we'll talk in December, and we're a week away from Christmas, and we haven't booked anything in yet. So that's <laughs> a good problem to have. I was going to say that is a good problem to have. I like it. Um, and it's interesting what you say about the people on LinkedIn and how they approach you. I think that they've changed tack a little and now they say, hey, I read your profile. I was really impressed. I think we should connect because there could be synergies between our business. And then when you have a look at what they do, they're a salesperson. And yeah, yeah. you can imagine, Ryan, you have got a very long list of people whose LinkedIn requests you have just not accepted. You haven't even ignored. They probably don't even know that they exist. No, no, I, I, I accept them. Do you? Oh, you're, oh, you're way more noble than I am. Uh, well, well, I accept it, for, and it's a very selfish reason. I'll probably get um, abused for this, but my feeling is that, that LinkedIn is, is, like any social media, is a place where you build a community. And whilst I may have to put up with a little bit of them trying to sell me something, they're one more person that's going to listen to what, what I have to say or, or see what I have to share. So down the road, it may become useful to, to have them. But I, I do laugh at some of these guys because they say they look you up. So I've had about 25, and I'm probably under under calling this number, people reaching out to me to promote my podcast. But the first question is, do you have a podcast on iTunes? And I'm like, well, if you've looked at my profile, that's the first thing you should be able to see because the only things I really post about are the episodes that I'm releasing. So if you did that little bit of research, you know, we'd have something to talk about. Yeah, do your homework, exactly. Uh, that applies to many things, though. The devil is in the detail. Although I've heard that phrase also said as God is in the detail. Either way, both are true. <laughs> the detail, <laughs> the detail is the thing that will catch you out if you don't pay attention to it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. As well. So you, one of the things that we touched on the last time, or well, we ever so slightly touched on the edges of was about leadership. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and I know that we have an outstanding conversation to have about 15.5. So I don't know if it's worth going into those a little bit more for mm. your audience. And I can tell you about them and tell you about um, how I perceive them, yeah. if that is of value. Perfect. That's exactly what's burning on my mind. So, yeah. Oh, OK. What would you like to know then? Well, well, firstly, the 15.5, because I wanted to know if there was, well, I want you to tell me what it is, because I was wondering if it's something that I'd used before, but with a different name. Um, ah, it could well be. Okay, what is it? I'll tell you what it is today, and then I'll tell you where it came from and how I discovered it. Today, it is a product. It is for performance management, and it's an, an app where people record their challenges, they record objectives, they record things that they want to achieve that week. They can tell you how they feel, they can score out five. And then as a leader, you can go in and have a look and figure out if you have to move some blockers out of the way so that the individual can achieve the, chat, the objectives. And if there's something in there, a trend, perhaps someone's consistently feeling a bit low, then it gives you an opportunity to have a conversation with them, draw that yeah. out. Also, the, but this particular product, I mean, that's at a very high level. There's so much that you can do within the particular 15.5 performance management product. And something that the team do is they ask specific questions, they're targeted questions to try and get answers. So it's like a poll, actually. The most recent one that I saw was, uh, do you feel connected to Welcome's mission? And then it's, it's literally a yes or a no answer. But those who do not, you get your poll results. You can go and find out why. And then as a leader, you can do something about that. And you can understand if, if it's serious enough for you to have to do something about it. I particularly like it because I like to look after the welfare of the staff. And I kind of, I think that if you look after the staff, 
You make sure that their needs are being met, whether it is being heard or uh, being respected or being included. You know, those seven underpinning values that people have. If you can make sure that those are being met, then productive, high performing, focused staff is actually the outcome that you will get if you can look after the basic needs. So that's why I like this tool. I actually discovered the concept about 12 years ago and a boss of mine wanted it presented as a PowerPoint presentation. No app existed <laughs> back then. And it was called 15.5 because it takes me as the writer 15 minutes to compile. It's just notes effectively. And it takes the reader five minutes to read. So that's where the label 15.5 comes from. And yeah. I can... Uh, because I can see you on this podcast, actually, I you're nodding. And so that tells me that this might sound like a thing that you have either used before or have heard of before. What's your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, so I, I had a thing that was called the four blocks, um, which was funny enough, a PowerPoint slide. But I always wanted to turn it into an app. Um, which is why I find it so funny, but it was some, it was similar in the sense that you had these four blocks, which which were were literally your highlights, your your um, things you're happy about, things you're unhappy about, uh, things that you you want to do, and things that um, need improvement. Uh, and it could be about anything, and that was really a one to one discussion. And it was literally like every week we'd have to say like upload your slides. We'll go talk to it in your one-to-one. So as long as I've got it the day before, I can look at it and we can go and talk about it. And, and it kind of evolved slightly um, to have a, a second slide, which was uh, because the, because the slide became very tactical. Um, and, it, and, it was, and I always had to sort of try and avoid making it an operational update. Like, you know, today I deployed, you know, two agents or whatever it was. But it was more like, you know, I've been looking at Python and learning this stuff. I really would like to, you know, learn a bit more about data science. You know, those sorts of... Um, things you want to want to find out about your your, your team. Um, but the, the second slide was more about long-term objectives, goals, learning things, just to try and, because often what would happen is people get so caught up in, in working that they only think about working. They never think about at the end of the year, I'd like to also maybe learn a language or um, work on my master's or something else like that. So yeah. that was the, the concept. Now that came out, the four blocks was, was an interpretation I had of a, of a Harvard Business Review article okay. that, that I did on a, on a course um, where they were trying to, to build communities through sharing vulnerable statements. Okay. And they had these little questions. Um, and it was a similar premise in the sense that the, uh, I, can't remember, I think it was a man, car manufacturer that did it, where they asked the four questions and any, and those questions, the answers, if there was further questions, they would be sent up to the, the chain. And, the, and the, the commitment was that the chain would come back within 24 hours. Okay. So if you said you wanted to go and do an MBA, you'd get a yes or no, or a um, you need to give us a justification within 24 hours. So, then you, so you always knew where you were in the business. And the, the, because the questions were standardized or the, or the approach was standardized, it was very easy for everyone to just do it no matter where they worked in the business, if they transferred work. Because sometimes you find these things become a, a way a certain team works. Yeah, that's true. And then the people won't leave because they're worried if they go to another team, they won't have that comfort of, well, they're here, they listen to me. Um, whereas if I go there, that team might be different. So you end up with, with a bit of stagnation. So yeah, so no, I love the concept. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I think it's. I think one of the other things I like about this particular app, so the concept from um, back in the day when I started using it as a PowerPoint, and it was literally to call it, what do you think you're going to achieve at an objective level, at, sorry, at an outcome level, not uh, you know deliver five software updates. It's, well, what's the outcome? So you yeah. would, um, back in the day, you would identify it as, as an outcome. Um, and then it's definitely moved on. So this app that I use now online, you can actually high five somebody in it. And because it's a community of people that use it and it integrates with Slack and stuff like that. So, but because it's a community of people that use it across the whole team, then some members of the team who normally or who would typically not work together or even talk to each other might have 
delivered a specific thing as part of a virtual team and they might yeah. have done that together so they can high five each other and everybody else can see this so mm. i saw i saw me getting a high five at welcome we're doing um an organization-wide redesign yeah. and there was an announcement a couple of weeks ago about it from our chief exec so straight off the back of that, I held an ask me anything session with the team yeah. and half an hour window, just come on, anything you want to know, uh, whatever I either can tell you or I know I'll tell you. Anyway, yeah. I saw on Friday that one of the members of the team gave me a high five for doing that. And I thought, you know, that is so nice. Yeah. I, I, I'm doing it because it's the responsible thing to do. But the fact that they took the time out and it obviously made an impact on them in a positive way. And so I just yeah. want to acknowledge Eileen publicly. I just think this is great. And it actually generates this kind of community and uh, camaraderie, actually, across everybody where they do feel like they're one big team who support each other. And I think that goes back to some of the things we were saying about being self-organized because they mm. it just encourages that more. They feel empowered. They're more self-organizing themselves. So it's great. Uh, so I do yeah. recommend using something like this. It's difficult to get it off the ground and get people buy-in because it's just another tool. But yeah. once you have been able to help them see the value and you have created the culture and the environment in which something like this will benefit everybody, then, I mean, as a leader, it's great, especially in lockdown, because I can't see, I can't see people. I can't just look across the office floor and, uh, see if they're having a bad day or get hassled by somebody. You just none of that's visible anymore. But I can draw it out through this tool, so yeah. that's been useful. But I do like your idea about the four blocks. I have myself used things like that before, and I've I've even used that in a way to figure out what my priorities are in life. So how much of my time do I want to spend on myself? on my family, on my job, and then what's that one big thing that I want to try and achieve in the future? And then just figure out how much of your time you even spend on these things. So I've used that four blocks used in that way as well. Is that is that based on the Eisenhower matrix or? Could be, it could be. It was never sold to me as this is a matrix that someone's put together and this is how you use it. Um, I saw others using four blocks in different uh, models in different way in different ways and I thought this is actually what I need to now be doing. I've reached a point in my career where I now need to think about how much of my time do I want to spend on me, on my job. I am rather altruistic and I will put everyone's needs before myself and that's more to do with just my personality. But that comes at a cost, doesn't it? Because then you don't yeah, spend does. time on yourself and so I reached a point where I needed to think about well, what, what is it that I want and the four blocks helped me figure that out. But if it's Eisenhower, so, then um, I didn't know that it had a label. Well, so, so there, yeah, I think it's Eisenhower. So he had, um, and it depends on how you did your four blocks. So, so did you did you put the like the Cartesian plane sort of quadrants to so one, two, three, four, and then each one had a, had a sort of different priority for you? Yes. So once I, yeah, I had my four areas that I wanted to focus on, and then I had to prioritize them within that, yes. Okay, so what he did um, is is your your axes uh, were. I mean, it's a while since I've looked at this. Um, were um, complexity, I think, versus priority. Uh, you know what? I'm actually going to Google it while we're talking because I don't know. Yeah, is it complexity or effort? Effort, I think, was was yeah Eisenhower matrix. See, now you're making me want to Google this and then I'll, I'll, I, what's going to happen is I'll have an aha moment and I'll go, yeah, that's it. I didn't know it had a name. <laughs> yeah, so, so you had, yeah, so it was urgency uh, versus importance. And then you had, right, yes. so, so quadrant one was urgent and important, do it now. Quadrant yeah. then, quadrant two, so it would be your top right was important but not urgent, decide when yeah. to do it. And then three is urgent but not important and you could potentially delegate it. And then four is not important, not urgent, then dump it. Yeah, I've used that before, uh, yeah. and actually that's a prioritization model, isn't it? Um, yeah. So I use that for prioritizing, but I would use that within the identifying how much of my time do I want to spend on developing myself and how important is that to me and what's the outcome that I'm looking to achieve and how much of my time do I want to spend on my job and what, what are the four key things I want to achieve in my job? Um, mm. So I've, I've it's possible sounds like maybe like a, 
I couldn't tell you if this thing exists already, but I certainly used a couple of different methods in order to help me understand myself better and then what my priorities were to me. It's interesting because all the, I have literally just Googled that and it's come up as the procrastination, the procrastination matrix. Now, <laughs> I, watched all, I watched a TED Talk the other day and it yeah. was a guy about... It was a guy talking about people who procrastinate and actually they're the most creative people. And then he told he told a story about these guys had an idea and they, they got off the starting blocks at 100 miles an hour and he said he'd invest. Then by the time it got to six months down the road and the thing was go, going to, to was due to go live, nothing had happened in it. But it was a fantastic idea. And then about three weeks before it was due to go live, there was this huge flurry of activity and it ended up being a really successful company. But in this six-month window where nothing happened, he was getting very agitated because he was wanting to see progress. And what he realized is that what the guys were doing within the six-month window was procrastinating. And that's when they were being their most creative and they were figuring out how they were actually going to solve the problem that they had identified needed solving. But how were they going to do it in a way that they was going to make them market leaders? So the whole TED Talk is about the fact that you're the best... Um, the best business people, the best innovators are actually procrastinators. It's quite good. I mean, hey, we could all say we're all procrastinators and therefore we're all innovators. Or we could all sit here and go, no, procrastination is really bad. You shouldn't procrastinate. Just get the job done. Um, There's many ways to spin things so that they all sound good to the audience. But I quite like that. I guess it's it's a very good thing if you and what i find is always a challenge you don't always have the time to procrastinate so you're often involved in delivering things all the time or, or pushing the you know pushing the team to deliver something but actually if you gave them and maybe this is with the google thing of the sort of one day a week or one day a month to do whatever you want whatever project was such a good thing because you if you keep pushing everyone every day they don't really take that step back and think about is this actually the best way to do this they just they just deliver it as fast as they can um, yeah. What's going on in the background, by the way? It sounds like uh, some animals are being <laughs> murdered by your kids or something. What's going on? My, my daughter crying. I'm not sure why she's crying. Oh, um, Oh, I take that back. It's uh, from over here in Scotland. It's, it's just sounding like there was some wild TV program on. Everyone thinks that in Africa you walk around, the animals walk around with you, so it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I know how, how ignorant am I. In fact, I'll never forget. Oh, we had okay. a, yeah, she's fine. She's going through a leap at the moment. So when that, you know, she's either needs to be fed or hugged or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she's fun. so new though. You know, she's such a new baby that you know, yeah, anything goes. Yeah, um, that's what I tell you a funny story. So a couple of years oh, back when I was in high school, we had a team from New Zealand um, play a hockey team come out on tour, and they obviously stayed with us. Uh, as they as they tour, they stay with different different families for the schools they're playing against. And we picked these guys up from the airport. And while we were driving them back to our house, I said to them, "Listen, when we get to the house, you need to be a bit careful because I need to put the lions away." And I was like, "You know, joke, joke, ha ha ha." And then so so fine. So we got we go back to the house and we parked in the driveway. And I got out and I was still talking away. And I looked and I said, "What are you guys doing?" They said, "Well, we're waiting for you to say you can come out because you, you put the lions away." I was like. <laughs> Oh, dear me. You could have so much fun with that, couldn't you? You know, yeah. Bring them to Scotland and tell them that they've got to go out and catch a haggis and run around a mountain because they've got one leg longer than the other. They've got to go chase them around the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Where haggis are found. You can have so much fun, can't you? I love it. Exactly. It sounds like it's well, bless her. We lamb. How did how has she coped with the move to South Africa? Um, she's she's probably better than my son. So so he's he's almost three. Um, so we we're planning to fly back on the fourth of Feb. Okay. His, his birthday is the second of Feb. Um, so when we originally planned this trip, we would actually fly. In fact, we would have landed today. Um, but we came early because of the lockdowns. Yeah. And. He's actually taken the most strain because he, I think he had the better routine. So, you know, he was going to school, he had friends, we were doing stuff in the mornings, you know, all that. So he had a nice, you know, in his home where he was safe. 
and now he's sort of you know we're in, in obviously a different country which he's been here before i mean he's been here since he was born you know every year um but now he's realizing that it's different and he keeps wanting to go home oh. so so you know it's 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 Obviously, it's tough, but I don't think he sees the value, or he doesn't see the adventure that it is, because he's he's still obviously only three, almost three. Um, but it's time with his grandparents and all that kind of stuff. So it's that's she's she's fine. Um, she's sleeping through and all that kind of stuff. He's taking a bit of strain. Um, you, it's not like you, yeah, it's not like you can tell him that you know you got to go and put the lines away every night, and he'll believe you and think <laughs> that that's an adventure. But it's just what a bless well, him. Well, we do, we do go, um, every year we come, we go to a, a hotel um, called Quarmaritan, which is uh, in the Pilansburg. So it's in a game park. Oh, okay. it's been a couple of years. So yeah, it's, it is lovely. It's, if you ever get out here, it's, it's definitely worth going to. Um, one of the things I, I really enjoy is that the restaurant, because it's a, it's a, it's a dinner, bed and bre- uh, dinner bed and breakfast, yeah, are included. So you have breakfast and dinner in the same place, and that's on a watering hole. Oh, nice. You can have elephants sitting across from you while you're eating breakfast or having dinner. Yeah, um, yeah we've seen some good lion there. Um, but then it's, you know, you've got a, a protective screen between you and the lion. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's what I look forward to when we come back. It's it's my five days of, of doing absolutely nothing but, but the bush. Yeah, it's your downtime. Is that the yeah. only break that you get in, in any year? Um, we take a little break. Yeah. Um, but I tend to to try and get if I'm not working on work stuff, then I'm trying to work on something else. So yeah. so not to take too much time off. But I, I kind of look at it as as long as you're doing something, you're not doing the same thing every day. You get a refresh by doing something different. So That's if I'm right. writing something or whatever. That's right. Well, there's that saying, isn't there? A change is as good as a rest. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that after the year that everybody's had where there's been very little change because, let's face it, the commute to the office was from your bedroom to your living room or something like that, then, you know, a rest is actually what people need now. Yeah, well, it, it's funny because, I mean, you were commuting out to London, so you had a bit of a, a commute to deal with. Um, I actually missed my commute because it was a, it was a buffer to do other stuff or, or at least have headspace, whereas now yeah. you don't have yeah, I mean, well, that goes back to the whole procrastination thing, doesn't it? Because you're absolutely right. When when I would do the commute, I was in work mode from four o'clock on a Monday morning until 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. Yeah. And then I would work from home on the Friday, but that always felt like a holiday, even though I was just doing calls. And then Saturday, and, you know, Saturday was my own. Sunday, for some reason, I'd start to get back into work mode. But... Uh, but the whole commute was a really good time for me to properly switch off and feel like I was mentally disconnecting because not mm-hmm. only was I doing quite a long commute, but I was going to a different country. So yeah. I, it just felt like there was a real clean break. Now it is, I am coexisting with my, my work and my home life are just coexisting and that takes a lot more adjusting to. So a little bit like what you were saying when you first moved to the UK and then the whole time differences and, you know, the daylight saving, it takes more getting used to because because it's a new thing. Yeah. Um, but on the procrastination thing, I'm also interested. Oh God, I'm, I'm going off on one about procrastination. Yeah. But I'm interested to hear you talk about at Google when you do this one day a month and then people can do whatever they want. Because actually one of the things that we do at Welcome is we work in sprints so we plan all our work in sprints and then we allow in every sprint 50 percent capacity to deal with the keeping the lights on work yeah so the sprint the planned work is change and we do three two-week sprints and then we have a week off so we have a fire break every six weeks and in that fire break everyone can do anything they want as long as it is relevant So that's where they get, we call it 10% time, but that's where they can go off and procrastinate. They can go off and study if they want. They can go and find a new way of solving a particularly difficult problem. One of the guys, and I love this about the team because they are very empowered. One of the guys got a supplier to come in and they had what they called a race day. The supplier came in taught them all how to program race cars and then race them around a track for the afternoon. Oh, brilliant. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's 
just not you wouldn't say that that was doing work at all but actually they're learning coding and there's skills that they're learning and it's team building and all that kind of stuff it's, there's, there was a lot of relevant things going on there and they did that in their 10 percent time so yeah. that's what one of the things that we do so i as a result, we have a lot of innovation that goes on in the team. And then yeah. we have a model that enables the whole organization. If anybody comes up with an idea at any point in time, they can get it into the system. They can have a feasibility assessment done against it. So they actually own the feasibility. And then if it's good enough and it requires digital or technology to help them solve the problem, then we would help them do that. And it's, it's we're breaking this relationship with annual financial planning, annual change planning, and actually trying to get into a rolling every quarter. We're replanning, we're reforecasting. We have mm. long-term budget plans for change, what the change is predictable. The point is this model enables everybody to innovate. Yeah. So it's quite exciting. And that is part of my leadership style, yeah. uh, which is to empower people, is to give them the space uh, to come up with new ideas and feel like they're owning their role, their work. Um, the 15-5 is really good for that as well, to help people take responsibility and accountability for their work because they yeah. do feel we've created this culture where they feel empowered. Yeah. So I don't actually want to talk about that very quickly because it has a name. Okay, what's the name? We're going to tell you afterwards. It is, um, it is called intent-based leadership. Oh, um, right. Okay. Lots of it's a new, it's a bit of a buzz thing. It's been around for a while, but it seems to be gaining traction since last year. And yep. intent-based leadership is where you are creating an environment where people feel empowered, and what you actually have to do as a leader is learn to let go. which is difficult because it's breaking very traditional mindsets and biases but you have to learn to let go be comfortable with letting go and put the decision making where the information is so there's some decisions that i have to retain but that's because of what i'm accountable for but otherwise you put the decision making where the information is instead of the information being pushed pushed to you as a leader you then having to make everyone's decisions for everyone else mm. and subsequently being the blocker. So if you yeah. want to work in an agile way, you want to create a high performing team, you want to have staff feel like their uh, underlying core values are being met and people are empowered, then try to learn intent-based leadership. So one of the things that I will often be heard saying to my team is don't ever ask me for permission. In fact, I, I say it less and less now. But don't ever ask me for permission. Tell me what you intend to do. You come and tell me what it is that you are going to do. And that's the conversation that we need to be having. And we also talk about outcomes, not tasks. So I don't have the capacity to get into task level conversation, (laughs) uh, outcome level conversation, please. So it's working really well, but it's it's. It takes a lot of learning and training and educating and supporting and coaching people to think about intent-based leadership. It's also a lot of effort in helping leaders learn to let go. Yeah. But it's very rewarding. Yeah. And and that's, there's a couple of things that that resonate for me. So, so one of those is, is, well, we wouldn't have called it intent. We said solution leadership, which is you let your teams come up with a solution or you let the people come up with a solution. And your job is to be the sounding board to um, to hear the solution, not necessarily tear it apart, but but ask you know, is this, you know what about this? What about that? You know, sort of be that um, thing. But you know, it's 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 really for them to own it, and, and you to get out the way or get things out the way. Um, and the guy who gave me the best example of this, and this is going back a long time ago, um, he was explaining the difference between a man- being a manager of a team being a team leader. And he said, a manager will go by the takeaway and people are working late without asking them because he knows they're hungry as opposed to a team leader trying to get everyone to tell them what he wants to know. So he can go get the takeaways. And one of those enables them to carry on doing what they're, what they're involved in. It doesn't disturb them. The other one is, is an irritation and a pain in the ass. Um, and it, it's always stuck with me in that sense that that's what you, you need to be doing is finding the ways to keep people 
engrossed in what they're doing and fly and flowing and you just keep sort of finding what they need to keep that going yeah so that sounds like um, servant-based leadership so in the world of agile mm. they call it servant-based leadership moving the blockers out of the way it's interesting yeah. because i've heard the same thing as well but i i it's uh, the difference between a manager a leader and a boss oh yes and yeah so what um one of the conversations that i had quite often over the past year was helping people understand when they were being a leader and when they were being a boss a boss will tell you what to do and how to do it a leader will show you and so i i observed you know people who are new into management think that actually they there's this weird expectation that they have to know how to do everything and then everybody looks to them and tells them what to do and then how to do it and that's just that is just well apart from the fact that that person then becomes a blocker and that's not empowering people to learn from their own mistakes Uh, it does take a long time to build a culture where people do feel confident to make their own mistakes and discover things for themselves and that's how you grow leaders as well mm. one so one of the things that we had to do is make sure that there was no blame culture yeah and that exists everywhere particularly in it finger pointing he did it and especially, yeah, especially with the old engineering versus ops oh yeah yeah, yeah. And I remember when I first moved into the role, somebody had made a decision to make a change that then took out every single um, computer. And it was a great, you know, it was a great change, but I realized very, very early on that actually the decision-making where the information is, is not always, doesn't always work. And so I remember having a very long conversation with the team about understanding risk, understanding accountability, having a backup plan, recognizing the bigger picture and the impact. But what we didn't ever, what we didn't do, and this has been the MO from the very start, is that we didn't blame anybody. We just accept it and then rally together as a team and then move forward in order to fix it. Removing blame out of a culture is whilst it can be difficult because people have a lot of institutional memory once you've been able to achieve that then people are more comfortable and confident in their decisions and taking responsibility for their actions and actually being more supportive of each other there's a lot more empathy that goes around and compassion because they know how it feels so i do think if people have a blame that is within their culture then please think about how you might get rid of that as well Mm. it's not conducive no, it's not. And I, I and I remember many conversations where, you know, someone pressed the button and and they owned they owned that problem. And then it was also, well, Joe pressed the button, so you know, Joe needs to drive this to resolve it. Which I, which is almost crossing over or trying to blur the line between a, a, a being blamed and being accountable for it. Um and I think there's a level of did someone do it on purpose maliciously or did they do it well not say with or by accident, but they did it without realizing the ramifications of, of what they did. Um, no, it's, it's a huge thing. The other thing that you, you mentioned, the sort of six week, one week off, which um, I wanted to go back to, the guys who wrote, um, oh, what's it called, Basecamp, they had the same approach, um, which was you, you basically planned your week, you planned your work in six week efforts and you broke those up into sprints and then you'd have a break and all the rest of it, which is kind of what you get with, with Google as well. It's the one day a week, which is, again, it's aligned to your objectives. You can't go and build a, um, you know, a product that makes no sense, but you but you can work on the idea you think is a good idea. Um, so it's a, it's a great thing if you can get the the culture right for that. Yeah, it's a difficult model to put in place where mm. you have ops and then delivery because in delivery it's great you plan your work, then you have that week off. When it comes to ops, how do you do that? You can't all take the same week off. You don't plan your work. You have no idea what's around the corner. So that's something that we're still working on is what is an appropriate model for those who are in ops roles. Uh, Because we work in a DevOps way, we use the same people that that drive the change to then Mm -hmm. maintain and support whatever the systems are. And that's why we need to build this 50% capacity in our change planning but then to get the balance between the two so we will end up with two models 
One where you can have the one week off after every six weeks and the other will be where people take one day off a week. And that's how we will have these two models and they will coexist. And, yeah. and that's just the way that it has to be as long as it's equitable. And that is the that's something that I am a big advocate for is is I can't have. 50% of the team having a week off every six weeks and then the rest of the staff just having to work every single day and not having the same, having access to the same innovation time. So it has to be equitable for everybody. So what do you do when um, you have a priority issue or a priority item that has to be built and now it's, the, now it's that person or that team's week off? What happens then? The big firefighting exercise, something's come down from on top, you need to do this urgently, like this is top priority. So we, everybody acknowledges that any major incident is the priority. Yeah. If there is something, we're very good at planning and being able to predict what's coming, but we do allow capacity in case of the things that you can't see. We don't create things that we then provide to others. We procure things. Yeah. So it would not be often that we, we would we would not be able to foresee us having to create a thing that that the organization demanded. A really good example though that you have just mentioned um, and that fits this is we are, our building are clo is closed. We have a museum. The intention yeah. is that we're going to be reopening the museum sometime next year. We are also opening the building up for staff to be able to come in, but they need to be able to book a hot desk. So we're trying to change the way in which people can ha have access to desk space in the building and we make it secure. So what we did was we rolled out a very rudimentary hot desk booking system which was incredibly manual but it was functional we then went off and a statement was said somewhere at a very high level in the organization that there was going to be a brand new hot desk booking tool and it was going to be in place by the end of november when i found out about it i said not in your nelly <laughs> sorry we're not going to have it in by the end of november because we have governance we need to make sure that we are procuring this in the right way and so on and so forth and so that's going to hold us back so we said we'd have it in by the 18th of december the team then went off worked 100 miles an hour to to sample to procure to get it through legal to get contracts in place and then to design, sorry, to build it and bring all the people together that needed to be involved in it. So the team that I work with led on the supplying this solution, but it was our facilities and workplace team who were the key stakeholders because they're the ones that provide the environment that staff have to come in to work in. So it was a great team effort. We all pulled together. It is going to be live tomorrow, the 18th of December. So by the time this goes out, and I realise that that day likely to pass, it is going live in yeah. the timescales that we agreed. And people have had a fire break throughout this. But everybody, but we saw this coming and we lined people up and we said, you are going to have to work on this. This is an exception. Yeah. It's not as if it came out, you know, whilst people were in fire, fire break, we discovered we had to do it by the end of the end of the week. So we saw it coming and we just negotiated with them beforehand. We also implemented a change freeze early on in December this year. So last year we didn't do a change freeze at all and we decided we were going to just deal with things as they came up and continue to have a light touch cab. This year when they said that to me I thought no I want everyone to have a break. So I pushed it back to the team and I said they're going to have a think about whether you can actually have a, a proper change freeze this year and do it earlier and let's just give everyone a break. So eventually yeah. they organized themselves and they figured out the best time to do it and when they were going to down tools. So we did we started to change freeze about a week ago knowing full well that we've got to go live with this product whilst we've got a change freeze on. So there's all of those things that had to be factored in. I'm so proud of the team that they've been able to pull this off and they have been able to launch a minimum lovable product. So not viable, <laughs> it's a minimum lovable product. And then we can just grow it and develop it. And that that will, it's a really important point in the future of Welcome because actually by being able to book a desk in this way, it defines the way in which we will use the space in the building into the future. And it enables 
the facilities team and the workplace team to figure out, well, how are we going to use this building in the future? If, if we need to change it, how, how do we change it? But this tool is a tool that we would like to be here to stay. And it's the start of defining how we are going to use this building going forward. You heard it here first. That's a great story because I mean that's that is the one problem with managing expectations. When someone goes and sets sets an expectation out publicly or within the organisation, you've got to manage that expectation back. Sometimes that can be um, quite a daunting task, depending on on who said it and and. Well, it was our team exec. Our team exec said it, and I just I had to say to my boss, "No chance." I'm telling you, I'm telling you now, this was the like beginning of November. I'm telling you now, we're not going to meet the end of November. And so, you know, manage that any, any which way that you want to, but we are not going to be able to achieve that for you. But yeah. we will do it by this day. So, you know, a lot of that is about just being bold and having courage to say no. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember, you know, being in a situation where um, my boss's boss's boss we worked with him before and, and had this reputation and then worked with him again. And his question was, you tell me when it'll get done by. And, and, you know, I had this conversation where then I walked out and my boss said, Oh, well, he says he wants it done in two weeks. I was like, <laughs> oh, he said, you tell me when it'll be done by. And you know, if you need resources, well, you know, like he was, yeah. so we had to go back in there, which was, I mean, fortunately we known him well enough. And we re, 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 reconfirmed with him what he'd said. And he said, no, I said, you tell me when you can have it done by. And you tell yeah. me what you need. Then when you tell me it's going to be done by the 18th of December, it will be done by the 18th of December. Correct. Like that's your, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And, and it just fascinated me how sometimes you can get these, um, um, ah, well, there's actually, there's a term for it, but people hear what they want to hear. Um, and they don't actually hear what was being said. Yeah. Um, and it was, a complete, it was like, we can't commit to that sort of, you know, just craziness. Actually, crazy. Yeah, there's this. Um, there's this. I stumbled upon this whole thing about listening, and it's a guy called David Stromboli, I think his name is. So there's a podcast that I used to listen to called Coaching for Leaders, and this guy happened to have, uh, and I say tears. This guy had the digital workspace. I he had this guy on who was talking about listening and you can go onto his website you can actually assess your listening style and there's four styles of listening and one is where you are not actually listening what you're doing is hearing what they're saying and then figuring out how you're going to solve the problem the other one is where you get distracted and you kind of lose track of the story Uh, I can't remember the other two, but you can assess yourself and your style of listening. And then he gives you a whole bunch of tips and techniques in order to fix your style of listening. I can send you the link afterwards, but but you fix your style of listening. And he does a 90 day challenge. And every day, every week, you get a, a new challenge in order to adjust your style of listening. At the end of the 90 days, the theory is you'll be a more wholesome listener. But what you'll probably find is when you reassess yourself, you've become a different kind of listener. Yeah. So you might have moved into from the from the one who fixes problems to the, the person who wanders off and gets bored <laughs> when someone's telling a story. But I'll send you over. You can have a look. It's really interesting. Yeah, so, so I googled quickly. I mean, I found four listening styles: people orientated, action orientated, content orientated, and time orientated. Oh, I don't um, know what's that. It's, I think uh, it's that. not the way you've explained it. Um, yeah, I mean, it could be. If I put in Oliver Stromboli, I think his name is. Oliver sounds Italian, doesn't it? Oliver Strom. I'm Googling it now. Sorry, everyone. No, no, it's fine. Oliver Stromboli. Um, Stromboli listening. I'm sure if I don't spell it right, it'll, it'll figure out what I'm actually trying to say. I'll have to find I'll have to find it and send it to you so that you can um, share it afterwards. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting because that that I think is one of the most important skills that people under unappreciate having is the ability to listen and and have the right kind of listening at the right time. And, I, and I'll be honest, I'm one of those that, that can be distracted sometimes. Oh. Um, or, or I'm listening for, I've already, what was it, I got criticized once for in, in a positive way is that I, I'll hear something, I'll conceive what the solution is, and then I'll basically tune out until they get, until everyone else gets to the same point. Oh, okay. Uh, which, which 
I mean, I think it, it, it could be an insult at the same time as being a, a compliment because sometimes um, you become biased then because you don't really care what the other solutions are because you've already, you've already conceived what the solution is. So that's been one of the things I've worked on personally for a long time is just to almost write down what I think it is, but then ignore that piece and focus on just listening and listening and listening to, to try and hear what the other dots are to join them all together. Yeah, you're, you know what, you're, you're absolutely right. And you've just described, I mean, if that's your preferred listening style, then you've just described the one where you've already come up with the answer. You are letting the person finish you, the com, the com, and then you're going to just tell them the answer. The, the interesting thing is you, you speak at something like 125 words a minute or 225 words a minute, but you listen at 400 words a minute. Yeah. And so you're already, your brain can just work so much quicker than the words that, that your ears are hearing. Yeah. So that's why you can be distracted. You can multitask. You can come up with the answers and you're just really waiting for the person to finish. So then you can say what it is that you want to say. But yeah, the 90 day deep listening challenge is what this guy talks about. And I'm just doing a quick search for it. So I, I will share it with you. Deep listening. If you, I'm sure if you Google deep listening, then you might find it. Um, I realise this is not helping anybody because anybody who's trying to find it have nice to do them down a path of about five different websites to go and check out. The peacekeeper, uh, the listening leader, the driver and the manager. Deep listening skills. Right. Cosmic, the cosmic, cosmetic listening, conversational listening, active listening and deep listening. Oh, I don't even know if it's that. None of those sound, none of those sound familiar. Um, I'll ping you the link. I mean, yeah. but but the point is that everything that you're finding is yeah. all relevant to deep listening and the fact you listen at 400 words, you speak it 100 yeah. and something. So, but Ryan, thank you so much for having me today. That was it's great. It's been a back. pleasure to meet you again. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was good to chat. We should do it more often. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, maybe if we can get the BCS to set up some podcasts, then you can you can be a, a host on that, or you can be a guest on that. Yeah, with pleasure. With pleasure. Fantastic. Thank cool. you so much, Ryan. Cool, Best great. of luck over Christmas and New Year. I hope your son starts to adjust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he will. You too. Thanks very much. Thank you. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Keep well. Cheers. Take eh? care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.